Hi you guys, and welcome back to my podcast, After Dark. My name is Allison, and like the title says, in this podcast, we're going to be looking into some of the strange, crazy, and disturbing things people do after dark. This includes things like heists, robberies, murders, serial killers, and more, so if you're interested in stuff like that, stick around. In these cases, we're going to be looking at where, when, and why these crimes were committed, and if the case was ever solved, or if it remains a mystery to this day. In this episode, we're going to be covering the famous case of David Berkowitz, maybe better known as the Son of Sam, who haunted the streets of New York City for over a year and actually caused lots of girls to cut and dye their hair, but we'll get more into that in a bit. Hope you enjoy. David Berkowitz was born on June 1st, 1953, to a poor Jewish woman. He was originally named Richard David Falco, but his mother gave him up when he was only a few days old, and he ended up being adopted by Nathan and Pearl Berkowitz, Jewish-American hardware store retailers, who ended up changing his name. Supposedly, he was a smart kid, but he had his own troubles, which, I mean, most kids do. He was very close with his mother, and I'm sure it was devastating and very traumatizing for him when she later died from cancer during his teenage years. Those years are critical in developing who we are as people, what we stand for and believe in, and the time where our brains are undergoing a lot of change, so the death of someone that important to him would have seriously impacted him and his mental health. His dad also remarried in 1971, which I'm sure was hard for him to see since he was so close with his mom, but then his dad and new girlfriend moved to Florida without him, which I don't really understand. I guess at the time he was 18 or at least close to it and basically an adult, but how are you going to move hundreds of miles away and just leave your son like that? Where was he supposed to go? I'm not sure if his mother's death and his father leaving played any part in him joining the military. It does seem very likely, let's just say that, but he did enlist when he turned 18 and served in South Korea. And I am almost certain that that had an effect on him and his mental health, because the horrors of war are something I hope most people would never have to see. I have great respect for soldiers and what they have to go through and are forced to do, no matter how much I wish they didn't have to do it. But David fought in South Korea, where he was supposedly a really good marksman. And as morbid as it is to say, but that would definitely help him in his later crimes and during his time as the son of Sam. He finished his military service in 1974, which, if I did the math right, means he served for three years. So he comes back to New York, is 21 years old, and becomes a letter sorter for the U.S. Postal Service. He gets an apartment in Yonkers, which, like, first of all, who decided that was a good name for a city? Like, if someone told me they lived in Yonkers, New York, like, how could you just not laugh? <laughs> He was apparently a good neighbor, though, because his co-workers and other apartment tenants said he was kind of a loner and just kept to himself, not really bothering them much, which we always appreciate. His mental health had been declining a lot, though, and it became severely worse in 1975, and he would later end up being diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic. Schizophrenia is a disease I would honestly never want to have. Um, A kind of general summary of it is that your mind doesn't agree with reality. It kind of changes your whole life, honestly, from how you think and act and behave. And just a lot of people with schizophrenia suffer with paranoia, delusions, and hallucinations, which 
I hope people don't have to go through it. I would never want to. The movie A Beautiful Mind is a popular media depiction of the life of someone with schizophrenia. I think it's a good movie, but because I don't have schizophrenia, I've never witnessed it up close. And I'm not a doctor, I can't really attest to how accurately it portrays the disease. But feel free to check it out for yourself if you have some free time. Uh, this decline in his mental health really kickstarted his criminal career and was a major part of his Son of Sam murders, which we'll get into later. So David's mental health was really not in a good place. He felt very isolated from the rest of the world, which is never good feeling like you're all alone. And if you do feel like this, please seek help. But because of this, before he escalated to murder, he was actually an arsonist. According to his diary, he set around 1,500 fires and was never caught. Which, that is insane to me. The fact alone that he set that many fires just in general was crazy, and how he was never caught, I don't know. He was at one point a volunteer fireman, ironically, so he had experience dealing with fire and law enforcement response accompanied by it, so that may have helped him evade arrest for so long. Kind of reminds me of the book Fahrenheit 451, to be honest, where in like a futuristic society, firemen are called to start fires rather than put them out. And they burn specifically books to prevent the spread of information and the idea of free thinking, stuff like that. Supposedly it's one of the author's best works, but I wasn't really a fan of it in the writing style. I don't think I actually ever finished it, but I don't know. Maybe some of you guys would like it, so feel free to check it out if that short description sounds interesting. But if you don't, I won't get mad. <laughs> Without a doubt, David Berkowitz, though, liked fire and was definitely interested in it, but it's hard to tell if he truly set all those fires or not. In his diaries, he would record the location of the fire, the time, firebox number, and even the weather conditions that day. And he did that for almost 1,500 fires, which is a lot of information. But he could also have heard them on police scanners or on the news, we don't really know. One of his entries had 11 fires in one day, all in different parts of the Bronx, which seems highly unlikely that he'd be able to set that many in one day, going from place to place, doing everything, and not get caught. During the time of these fires, the nickname The Phantom of the Bronx surfaced for the supposed suspect, and The Phantom would call into the fire department about arson fires and identify himself as The Phantom of the Bronx which does correlate with how David Berkowitz would contact the police during his later crimes, calling himself the son of Sam, but that's not really like a strong correlation or evidence to claim that he was also the phantom. But you never know, he could have set at least some of them. I'm pretty sure he set some of those fires. Not sure if the whole 1,500 are true, but definitely some of them. <laughs> And there wasn't, like, a lot of information on these fires and his earlier crimes. Most of his reports are focused on, like, the killings and his time as Son of Sam, so I'll try my best to find information for you guys on this part. But with that being said, let's get into what David Berkowitz is most well-known for, his famous Son of Sam killings. Berkowitz had been having hallucinations, often hearing the voices of demons who would taunt him and urge him to murder others. And on Christmas Eve 1975, he couldn't take it anymore and gave in to these voices, eventually stabbing and severely injuring Michelle Foreman, who was just 15 years old at the time, using a hunting knife. (laughs) 
Only a couple weeks later, in January of 1976, he moved into a two-family home in Yonkers and became convinced that the German Shepherd living in the house and other dogs around the neighborhood were possessed by demons, and they would tell him to kill people, specifically pretty young women. These delusions became so strong that he actually shot one of the neighborhood dogs, and he began to see his neighbors as demons, too. In April, he would move into an apartment, but nothing changed. He lived next to Sam Carr, who was retired and had a black lab named Harvey. Berkowitz would believe that Harvey, the dog, was pleading with him to kill, and that Sam Carr was a powerful demon, referring to him when he took the nickname the Son of Sam. After living there for a few weeks, he gave in to the delusions again, quitting his job and the very next day committing his first murders. In the early morning of July 29, 1976, Jody, Valenti, and Donna Laura were sitting in their car in the Bronx in front of Donna's home. Berkowitz walked up to the parked car and fired five times using a 44 caliber revolver to instantly kill 18-year-old Donna and wound Jody, who would end up surviving, actually. Police were kind of puzzled on this murder because there was seemingly no motive for someone to want to kill these girls, and they really couldn't find any leads. Again, in the early morning on October 24th, David Berkowitz targeted Carl DeNaro and Rosemary Keenan, who were talking in a parked car. He used the same gun to shoot at them, hitting Carl in the head, but they both actually ended up surviving miraculously. Which, I don't know how you survive getting shot in the head, but good for that guy. <laughs> a little over a month later, in November, Donna DeMossi, who was 16, and her friend Joanne Lamino, who were 18, were shot while walking back from a movie. Both of them ended up surviving, but sadly, Joanne was left paralyzed from the incident. At this point, the police had still yet to connect the three shootings, still believing that they were separate incidents with multiple suspects, which in my mind would be worse. I would rather just have one killer to focus on and be able to identify their motives than try and not be killed by three or more murderers. <laughs> so far, David kept up a pretty consistent time frame between his shootings. Each incident kind of happened around a month or a bit more apart. He struck next on January 30th, 1977, shooting and killing Christine Frond while she sat in her car with her fiancé, John Deal, in Queens. He seems to have a thing for killing people in cars, but for some reason, the fact that he did that multiple times might have helped the police catch on to the fact that it was a single killer, because it was after this incident that they started to look more into the possibility of it only being one suspect, but the lack of evidence and retrievable bullets made it kind of difficult. It was also around this time that the newspapers nicknamed him the 44 caliber killer because of his weapon of choice in the shootings. And they also noticed that all of his victims were between the age of 18 and 26. So they were kind of starting to connect a few dots here and there. But they really hadn't gotten the big picture yet. His next victims would be on March 8th. He killed Virginia, and I'm going to mess up this last name, but Washgirshen, a 19-year-old college student who was walking home in Manhattan. The police were able to find an intact bullet on this case, which matched a bullet found on the scene of its first shootings all the way back in July. And with this evidence, the police announced that there was a serial killer on the loose in New York. 
giving him the description of a white man in his 20s with black hair and average height and build. Which, might I just say, is not a very detailed description. That could honestly apply to hundreds of people and probably just cause panic because everyone would start to suspect just anyone they knew that fit the description. They also gathered a large group of detectives together to form a task force called Omega, were specifically focused on tracking down the killer. A little over a month later, on April 17th, Berkowitz shot and killed 18-year-old Valentina Suriani and 20-year-old Alexander Assault. They were killed as they kissed in their parked car near the Hutchinson River Parkway. This time, though, David Berkowitz left a note. His letter read, I am deeply offended by you calling me a woman hater. I am not but I am a monster. I am the son of Sam. I am a little brat. When Father Sam gets drunk, he gets mean. He beats his family. Sometimes he ties me up to the back of the house. Other times he locks me in the garage. Sam loves to drink blood. Go out and kill, commands Father Sam. Behind our house, some rest. Mostly young, raped and slaughtered. Just bones now. Papa Sam keeps me locked in the attic, too. I can't get out but I look out the attic window and watch the world go by. I feel like an outsider. I am on a different wavelength than everybody else, programmed to kill. However, to stop me, you must kill me. Attention all police. Shoot me first. Shoot to kill, or else keep out of my way, or you will die. Papa Sam is old now. He needs some blood to preserve his youth. He has had too many heart attacks. Too many heart attacks. Ugh me, who it hurts, sonny boy. I miss my pretty princess most of all. She's resting in our lady's house, but I'll see her soon. I am the monster, Beelzebub, the chummy behemoth. I love to hunt, prowling the streets looking for fair game, tasty meat. The women of Queens are prettiest of all. I must be the water they drink. I live for the hunt, my life, blood for Papa. Mr. Borelli, sir, I don't want to kill anyone. No, sir, no more but I must honor thy father. I want to make love to the world. I love people. I don't belong on earth. Return me to yahoos. To the people of Queens, I love you, and I want to wish all of you a happy Easter. May God bless you in this life and the next, and for now I say goodbye and goodnight. Police, let me haunt you with these words. I'll be back, I'll be back. To be interpreted as bang, 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 ugh. Yours and murder, Mr. Monster. And there is a lot to unpack in that note, but obviously that wasn't written by someone who is mentally sane and stable. I did find it interesting, though, if you actually go up and look up the note and read it, you can see that he does follow some grammar rules using dashes, commas, and quotation marks, which seems kind of contradictory to the messy, unlined, all-capital style it's written in, but who knows? <laughs> This is a letter that caused the media to start referring to him as the son of Sam, which he only signed once. He did write Mr. Monster and refer to himself as a monster multiple times, but I guess the son of Sam just had a better ring to it. Originally, the New York Daily News did not publish the article with the letter for a few days. Instead, they kind of chose to string it out and tease the people with the articles alluding to it. And when they did finally release it, they sold out in an hour. And they printed more papers, and at the end of the day, they had sold 1,116,000 copies. 
which is insane. I would say it was a pretty good business day for them. Towards the end of April, David Berkowitz actually shot Sam Carter's dog, the one he believed to be a demon who was ordering him to kill. Thankfully, the dog recovered, but his neighbors became a lot more suspicious of him, and the Yonkers police had begun an investigation about the dog. Before this, he had actually sent letters to Sam Carr that were very threatening and contained his obvious dislike for the animal, and he also sent weird letters to his other neighbors and former landlords that were so bizarre that they actually reported him to the police and Omega task force because they suspected him to be the son of Sam. But the police really didn't do anything at first because they were overwhelmed with hundreds of other reports about potential suspects that it just went unnoticed. He struck again on June 26th, again attacking two people as they sat in their car. He injured Judy Placido and Sal Lupo as they sat in their car after leaving a disco in Queens. Judy was shot three times, but they both ended up surviving. So far, David Berkowitz's track record for actually killing his victims is not very good. Out of 13 victims up until now, he's only killed five, which is... 38%, so if this was a test, he would be failing. But that isn't to say that his attacks didn't spark fear. Public fear had gone up significantly, and a lot of clubs and restaurants saw their businesses drastically decrease. So many people were just afraid to go out at night for fear of being the next victim, especially young women who it seemed were their main target. And a lot of women were actually encouraged to cut and dye their hair because they saw a pattern in David Berkowitz's killings, and they did not want to be that killer's type. <laughs> and then a serial killer, combined with a horrible heat wave and 25-hour blackout, only made things worse for these citizens of New York. They were beyond panicked at this point. David Berkowitz had been terrorizing the city for over a year now, and just two days after the anniversary of his first killings, he attacked again. He targeted 22-year-old Stacy Moskowitz and her boyfriend Bobby Volante, who were kissing in their parked car in Brooklyn. Stacy was fatally shot in the head, but her boyfriend Bobby survived after losing his left eye and almost all of his vision in his right, which sounds horrible. I feel very sorry for him. The police got lucky because a few days after the attack on Stacy Moskowitz and Bobby Violante, an eyewitness came forward that she saw a man holding what looked like a gun just minutes before the shots occurred. With her help, the police were able to come up with the first witness sketch of Berkowitz and the very important information that police officers had been writing parking tickets on her street the nights of the murder, which would be crucial to catching him later. At the same time, though, Berkowitz was being investigated by the Yonkers police because he had escalated the harassment of his neighbors. And I have another letter I'm going to read for you guys. This one was sent to Craig Glassman, who lived below Berkowitz. And it reads, Craig Glassman, you have been chosen. You have been chosen to die. Craig, I curse your mother's grave. I curse your mother's grave. I'm pissing on her, Craig. Urinating on her head. Your mouth is filled with cum. Your blood is sour. You, Craig Glassman, are truly Satan's child, and now he wants you by his side. Come join him in death, little ones. Master Glassman, you are a man with power, the power of darkness. You are hereby ordered to unleash your terror upon the people. Destroy all good and ruin people's lives. Begin immediately. Mighty Craig, where is your weapon? If you don't obey these commands, the commands of your father will be punished. I swear, Glassman, your life will be pure hell. 
we will kill you. We will murder you. Remember, Craig, that your mother, the harlot, the lesbian whore, wants to love you, so make her happy. Kill some child. Remember, if you don't do as we say, you will surely die a premature death. Your brothers and sisters. Craig, darling. Craig Glassman, the cruelest, sickest man on earth. Cruel Glassman. Cruel Glassman. Mean. Terrible. Cruel. Hateful Craig Glassman. Die, Craig. Die. Obviously, his neighbors were not very appreciative of these notes that David was sending and were convinced he was the son of Sam. They informed the Omega Task Force of all this, and when they went to look at parking tickets issued the night of the last murder that the witness had recounted remembering, sure enough, they found Berkowitz's car. With this evidence, they were able to arrest Berkowitz on August 10th as he was leaving his apartment, which seems very ironic that after everything he's done, the whole reason he gets arrested was because of a parking ticket, but I guess it's better for him to be caught than to keep killing <laughs> He didn't put up much of a fight during the interrogation and actually happily admitted to being the son of Sam. When the police searched him, he was in possession of a semi-automatic rifle, claiming he was on his way to commit another murder, and they did find the 44 caliber revolver that he also used. I find it curious that Berkowitz gave up so easily when they took him in and just nonchalantly said, well, you've got me, but during his killings, he taunted the police and media relentlessly with his letters. One that he sent to Jemmy Breslin reads, Not knowing what the future holds, I shall say farewell, and I will see you at the next job. Or should I say, you'll see my handiwork at the next job. Remember Mrs. Loria? Thank you. In their blood and from the gutter, Sam's creation. 44. Here are some names to help you along. Forward them to the inspector for use by the NCIC. The Duke of Death. The Wicked King Wicker. The 22 Disciples of Hell. John Wheaties, rapist and suffocator of young girls. Please, JB, inform all of the detectives working on the slain's remain. And to me, that letter doesn't really sound like someone who wants to be caught. Personally, I think it sounds like he's enjoying the killings, even trying to come up with his own nicknames for the media to use. Like, that's not something that a person who is remorseful for their actions would do, so why just give up? In his first letter, he also said that the police would have to kill him to get the murders to stop, but when it came time for them to arrest him, he just went with them. I don't know. That's just something I thought was interesting. Maybe there's a meaning behind it, maybe there's not. <laughs> On May 8th, 1978, David Berkowitz stood trial. Lots of people questioned if he was mentally sane enough to take the stand, but he actually withdrew an insanity defense and pleaded guilty to the six murders and almost 1,500 fires I mentioned earlier. He was given six 25 years to life sentences, one for each murder, which was the highest sentence they could give at the time. After hearing this sentence, though, I guess Berkowitz didn't like it because he tried to jump out of the seven-story courtroom window. And if he didn't want to be sentenced that long, I don't know why he wouldn't plead that he was insane, but well. Said he thoroughly enjoyed the media attention his case was getting, and he actually sold his exclusive story rights to a publishing house, which caused New York to put in effect a series of laws named after him that take any earnings a criminal makes from selling their story and puts it into a victim's compensation fund, which I think is a very good idea. Good on New York for making those laws, which are now nationwide. Berkowitz was jailed in Sullivan Correctional Facility in upstate New York. He was denied parole, which I'd say was probably the right decision, 
but while in prison, he converted to Christianity and took back his story of possessed dogs and being ordered by demons to kill. In a letter to his psychiatrist, he claims it was all a hoax, a silly hoax, which I'm not sure how to feel about that. To me, I don't think it's likely that someone would just make up a story with that many details and write the letters and kill his victims with somehow like not slipping up. And I don't know, just doesn't seem possible to me to create that much of a false reality. But I don't know. He also made claims that he was part of a satanic cult, which helped him commit the murders, and that John and Michael Carr, Sam Carr's sons, were also members and involved with the killings. Police reopened his case in 1996 to investigate some of these claims he made, but there's never any hard evidence they could find to back up anything he said, so the investigation was suspended, but is still open as far as I know, in case any new evidence comes about. While in prison, as I said, he converted to Christianity, but he also changed his name from Son of Sam to Son of Hope. He even wrote a book in 2006 titled Son of Hope, the Prison Journals of David Berkowitz, where he talks about how he found God and how he changed his life in prison and all that. You can find the book on Amazon, but used one is going to cost you about $90, which I don't think is very worth it. He also has a website run by his fans because he does not have internet access, but he posted an apology on there to his victims and their families saying, I was once a prisoner, but now I'm free, which is only a bit ironic because now he actually is a prisoner and not free, but... Maybe he's changed. <laughs> Along with his book, While in Prison, he will write journal entries about faith, repentance, and Christianity, and even contributes to school projects for students in criminology, sociology, and psychology for them to better understand the mind of a criminal and the workings of the justice and prison system, which I think would be pretty cool, actually, to be one of those students. I mean, obviously, I'm interested in true crime, but to actually hear from a serial killer, I think, would be pretty interesting. In 2017, he had to be transferred to a hospital because he had a heart attack and then had to undergo heart surgery. And in 2018, he had to go back because of complications and undergo further treatment. But as of now, he is 67 years old and still serving his time in prison. He has been denied parole at all of his hearings and looks like he's going to send his full sentence there, though multiple people have claimed he's doing better and is kind of a model prisoner. That's all I have for you guys on the case of David Berkowitz, the son of Sam. The information in this podcast was taken from murderpedia.org, history.com, and biography.com. And I feel like this episode, these sources cover a lot of other true crime stories and other topics I highly recommend if you want to check them out. Once again, thank you for listening to my podcast, After Dark. My name is Allison, and I hope you all have a great day, and I'll see you in the next episode. Bye.